Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire podcast network as well as the HubSpot podcast network. Now, the HubSpot podcast network has incredible shows like The Hustle Daily. It's hosted by Zachary Crockett, Jacob Cohen, Rob Litterst, and Juliet Bennett Ryla. Now, The Hustle Daily brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat, and informative takes on business, tech, and news. And it happens daily. So if you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest, and some of these topics are interesting to you, then you're going to love The Hustle Daily. Uh, topics like Amazon's grocery strategy, the rise of the ugly shoe economy, is AI the secret to love, and America's sleep deficit problem. So if these are topics you want to get into and you love hearing up-to-date content whenever you wake up in the morning, go listen to The Hustle Daily wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is David Siegel. He is the CEO of Meetup. He's overseeing Meetup's global business. They have 52 million members. They host 15,000 events daily in 193 countries. As a business leader and expert in building personal and professional communities. He also hosts a podcast, Keep Connected, and he is the author of the best-selling book, Decide and Conquer, 44 Decisions That Will Make or Break All Leaders. He has 20 years experience leading technology and digital media organizations focused on community healthcare and finance. He has a significant background in innovative product development, rapid revenue growth, and digital traffic acceleration. This is evident by his work at Meetup. In his first 18 months, he brought the social media platform to its most profitable state in the company's 18-year history. In March of 2020, he oversaw its acquisition from WeWork that had previously acquired Meetup to a consortium of investors led by Alicorp. From 2015 to 2018, he was the CEO of Investopedia. He 5X'd their growth, and he led them through a successful merger of Investopedia to DotDash. Previous to that, he served as president of Seeking Alpha, a crowdsourced investment research business with more than 4 million registered users. Between president, general manager, chief executive, he has had uh, five leadership roles, chief executive, decision-making roles in large organizations. So he's had an incredible career. What did we speak about? Well, we spoke about lessons in leadership and business that he has learned over his career through stories, that he's experienced some ups, some downs, how he's applied them to the various organizations that he's worked at. Uh, most recently, some very tactical stories of how he's applied some leadership lessons that we discuss to Meetup, where he's obviously currently CEO. We spoke about principles of open communication, radical candor, transparency, kindness to inform great decision making. We spoke about types of biases and how they impact an organization, four types in particular, and how to overcome them and how to make sure that your decision making process doesn't succumb to these biases. We spoke about how to hire executives. He's done it a lot. Uh, the most important and least important things to look for when hiring executives. Uh, we spoke about his decision-making process to make effective, speedy, meaningful, and hopefully correct decisions. And we also spoke about his prioritization and deprioritization framework, which is ultimately the most important framework that he deploys to be successful and to decide uh, what he should even focus on, let alone make those decisions. So some great business stories, some lessons, some very tactical things based on all these different leadership lessons that he's learned over his career and how he actually executes them in Meetup. So if you want to learn from a really great tenured executive, you want to learn how he operates his business today, this is a great show. Let's jump right into it. This is David Siegel. He is the CEO of Meetup. I was born in a small log cabin in Kentucky. 
Don't worry, we'll, we'll get a lot faster now. I was not born in a log cabin in Kentucky, but I was born in Kentucky on an army base in Kentucky. Now let's fast forward. Um, grew up in the New York metro area, upper middle class, amazing parents, incredibly lucky to have the loving household that we grew up in. Um, had really like the standard high school experience where uh, I was kind of like a little nerdy, um, but not nerdy enough to be like super duper smart, but nerdy enough to hang out with the people who were really smart and okay in sports enough to hang out with people who are really, really good in sports, but always like at the, at like the lower end of each of those different areas. And maybe that's why I became like a particularly competitive person. But anyway, um, I would say the most important, probably professional, um, opportunity that I had in life was after graduating college, I worked in consulting and my biggest client was DoubleClick. Now, DoubleClick at the time, most people don't know this unless they're like 35 or above. DoubleClick was the internet website. All advertising came through DoubleClick. Most advertising on the internet came through DoubleClick. Made the internet free. Google acquired DoubleClick for like $3 billion. And over 200 different CEOs of internet companies have come from DoubleClick. So I was very lucky at about 24 years old to become a director actually at DoubleClick. Um, and I did that. And that one experience when I was really quite young, a couple years out of college, had an impact in my life to fast forward. And I could rewind back a little bit to when I became CEO of Meetup and WeWork was imploding and WeWork owned Meetup. The person who I went back to 20 years later after having built a relationship was the CEO of DoubleClick at the time to really? acquire Meetup wow. out of WeWork. So I could fill in the gaps in the middle, but a lot comes down to kind of those early experiences that I had. And then just, you know, the, the quick quick bio is I was at one point president of a site called Seeking Alpha, one of the largest financial education sites. And then I became the CEO of Investopedia. For about four years, we sold that company. And then Adam Newman came knocking on my door uh, for WeWork and it was a opportunity I couldn't refuse. And um, that's the origin. Dude, that's an awesome story, and you've and you've done a lot too. So, uh, where do you want? To, what's what would be some of the most interesting pre meetup stories? You can pick a few. Some of the I know there's I know there's a lot. Investopedia, we were those are like those are names that people know, and plus probably some some at uh, some at DoubleClick too. So, pick some fun stories that I would say were like key points, defining points in your career um, that allowed you to speak to some of the things that you speak to in your book, some of the leadership lessons, those were not just uh, thought thought up overnight. So there's things that you learn, there's people you worked with, there's good times, there's bad times for sure. So go into some stories. I love Okay, stories. we'll do a good story and we'll do a challenging story. So we'll do both of those. All right, deal. Take it from there. Good story. So um, after double click, I decided to go to business school um, and I was in Warren for business school. And I didn't want to do the standard like investment banking consulting thing because just that's boring. I had a dream job. My dream job was to become the assistant to a CEO, to be like the right hand person, not to get the coffee or whatever it is, but like to work on board decks and work on strategy and just learn from really, really smart people. So one night at business school, a couple months before graduation, I decided I was going to go on a blitzkrieg of like sending out insane numbers of emails. I stayed up all night. I kid you not, I figured out what the email addresses were for all these different companies like at David, at D Siegel, David dot Siegel, David underscore Siegel, whatever the email address happens to be. And I sent about 10,000 emails to every executive for about a, of a hundred different companies and said, I want to become the assistant to the CEO. Great. I ended up having conversations through that with, and, and connections with David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA National Basketball Association at the time, Ken Chenault, the CEO of American Express, um, all these just like illuminate, um, David Nealman, um, the CEO of JetBlue, all these companies that like were amazing companies. And I couldn't get the role of becoming an assistant CEO. I tried, I tried, I tried, didn't work out. Okay, fast forward, I took another job. Three years later, I also spoke to the um, CEO of 100 Flowers. Fast forward three years later, there was a posting on the Warden Alumni Database. And the posting said, 100 flowers looking for an assistant to the CEO. And I was like, wait, three years ago, I spoke to Jim McCann, 
the founder and CEO of One Hundred Flowers, and I begged him to become the assistant. He's like, I don't need an assistant. So I sent him an email. This is three years after graduating from business school. And I said, hey, we haven't talked in three years, but I, I just, if I in any way influence your decision to decide to hire an assistant for a CEO, then I, I would love to, you know, get together sometime. So he emails me back five, like, amazing words. And the five words were, I was looking for you. That's so funny. It was funny. like a Harry Met Sally so kind funny. of moment, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's, that's a lesson in and of itself. That, you know, like how everybody gets somewhere in life. Um, there's this there's this book uh, by by Alex Banyan, and he and he interviewed a whole bunch of like executives. Like he interviewed, um, I'm trying, I'm blanking on the names now, but like very very notable people. Um, and there's always like this third door. Like there's like the the front way and the back way that you can get something done. Then there's like the third third door, like the other opportunity where like people like think outside the box and figure it out. This is what you're doing. This is exactly what yeah. you're doing. I, it sounds surprising, but there's not a single job that I've gotten. I've had seven jobs that, that existed beforehand. I love Every it. job was it. like a okay. job I created, except for a CEO role that kind of had existed beforehand because companies <laughs> need CEOs, right? So, but it's the reason why I think there's an illustrative comment in terms of decision-making is number one, when you're making decisions, you have to think about how are you creating options for yourself? Are you limiting the number of options for yourself and making a decision now you have fewer things that could happen to you in the future? Or are you creating options for yourself that could end up resulting in you just getting lucky at some point in time? And I actually believe, as crazy as it sounds, that you can create your own luck by making decisions and having enormous numbers of volumes of conversation that lucky stuff just ends up kind of like happening to you. And people are like, oh my God, you're so lucky. I can't believe it. Well, Am I lucky? Yes. But I also had 10,000 little points out there that would create situations where I could end up becoming lucky. So how do you make decisions that create many different options for yourself so that luck ends up happening to you? Smart. Very smart. Okay. So that was great. So that's, that's, that's a good story. So how did that work out? How did that, where did that, where did that place you after the assistant to the CEO? Did you take it? So it, it, it changed my career, honestly. So I met with him. Um, he ended up hiring me, not for that role, uh, a made up role called vice president of strategic initiatives, which is usually like some person on their way it's out of life. Title. Like, we don't know what to do with you. So you're going to be a vice <laughs> president of strategic initiatives. Oh no. What does that mean? But I was like early days. So, so I did that and then like, we'll just figure out what you're going to do. And by the end of four and a half years at one hundred flowers, I was running all mergers and acquisitions for the company, um, a lot of shared marketing services, um, international operations, just a whole bunch of other other things that you know just kind of took on over time. So yeah. it really helped to make my career and and, and was great Incredible. great great opportunity to learn from some very smart people. Okay, now I'll tell you the, uh, the I mean I have so many like crappy stories. And okay, so the first, if I have to I have to just ask, is is the bad story a WeWork story? Whatever you want. I got one? I got lots. I don't know cuz I I just, I, I just figured story. there was a or WeWork. I, I figured there was a story with WeWork. Oh my god. Like there's Tons. not not a story. No, I got like 100 <laughs> stories for WeWork. Okay, here's a story for WeWork. So um uh, this is a <laughs> crazy story. So I um I was running meetup and WeWork had been acquired by WeWork um, in late 2018. And, and everyone at Meetup had WeWork stock. That's the only stock that they had when, when I came in. And um, WeWork stock had gone up to a valuation of $47 billion. And, you know, come 2000, late 2019, early 2020, we start seeing like these articles in Wall Street Journal of like, now, now with 40, 40 billion, now we're 30 billion, now we're 20 billion, now we're 10 billion. And we're like, uh-oh, uh, I don't know if I can say this, but this shit's going to fall down and it's going <laughs> to fall on little meetup. We know this is going to happen. So, um, and I kept being assured, don't worry, David, it's not going to impact meetup. It's everything's going to be fine. And I was like, come on, we know that like, it's not going to be fine. So I was... Also, coincidentally, it's kind of a random thing for like the death of a company. I was actually visiting my father's um, grave once a year. I visit him um, uh, in a cemetery and I get a call and the call says, David, it's about to hit the Wall Street Journal. 
That meetup is for sale. Just total surprise. No forewarning, no nothing. And I'm like, oh my God, if our employees, our 200 plus employees hear about this for the first time from the Wall Street Journal and from their friends, well, that's a great way for me to, for them to lose all trust in me because they're not going to believe that I didn't know about it. They're going to think I knew about it. I hid it from them. And every time I try to convince them of something, you know, they're going to be surprised. I hoofed it to meet up. I quickly, um, I quickly got a, a senior person at WeWork to meet me there so they knew it was legit. Called all of our employees for an emergency meeting. I started telling them that, you know, Meetup is about to be for sale. Within like three minutes of the conversation, every person's phone is like buzzing because oh it hit goodness. the Wall Street so you Journal. you just, just caught it. And we yeah. just caught it in time. Um, and that's, you know, one story, but I've got many other Adam Newman crazy, <laughs> you know, plane ride experiences or whatever that's out there as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, okay, so then let's, but that wasn't, that was a difficult situation. What was the most notable situation? Uh, negative or difficult time in your career that shaped yeah. you? I had an experience in my career where I was like semi-catatonic in how deeply disturbing it was. So here's, here's the experience and, and it definitely helped to shape me. So prior to Meetup, I was the CEO of Investopedia. Okay. Investopedia is owned by IAC. IAC is the chairman of IAC is a very famous individual, Barry Diller. The CEO of, of IAC is Joey Levin, and I and I worked for them. Um, we had an amazing success in Investopedia. I joined the company was doing eleven million dollars, and ended up four years later doing thirty five million dollars in revenue, so over tripled in size. One day, a, a senior executive, I won't say who came into my office after four and a half years being there. And he said, David, we just sold Investopedia. And I was like, wait, 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 I'm the CEO. Uh, how did, how did you, you, you do it? that with no due diligence <laughs> without any companies wanting to talk to like the executive team who yeah. bought us? What, what, what happened? And like, don't worry, David, we're going to take care of you. Uh, we got a really, really good price for it. And um, you're, you're going to be happy financially. I'm like, no, 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 forget the financial thing. Like, what happened here? And, and basically, a sister company of IAC called Dot Dash um, uh, convinced IAC to acquire Investopedia. They knew our business because it was all part of the same umbrella brand. And, uh, and that was it. It was a... I was, I was out <laughs> without any, with just complete and total surprise. And we were just like at the top of a mountain at the time. And, and I think the, and, and they actually, IAC to their credit did do uh, above and beyond um, appropriate things for me and for others. And they also offered me to stay on at IAC corporate as uh, in another role um, uh, and another executive position. But I, I was so in total shock. And surprised. The reason why that really did impact me is because I swore kind of after that experience that the number one job of a CEO and of a leader is not to surprise people. Your job is not to surprise your employees. Your job is not to surprise your board because having been surprised actually numerous times in my career now, um, it, it's so painful because it's not about the experience of being surprised. That's hard, but it's about the loss of trust that you have in people whom you trusted previously and, and, and they weren't able to be upfront with you for, for whatever reason it happens to be. And, and I think having a kind of a no surprise leadership philosophy up, down and all around um, is, 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 is um, certainly referenced and talked about in the book around how do you make decisions and how do you be transparent in decision-making. Um, uh, but uh, it definitely really impacted me. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story 
starts by working smart. Because when you work smart, your success story writes itself. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder and smarter. With intuitive visual workflows and bot builders, you can create scalable automated campaigns across email, social media, web, and chat so your customers hear your messages loud and clear. Are you tired of your content not adapting to mobile, making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message? A HubSpot CRM platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at HubSpot.com. You've been in, you've been in so many different um, CEO roles and positions, and this is sort of how you've built out this framework, I guess. And I want to understand, like when you, when you wrote uh, Decide and Conquer, what is that? What is that meant to be? What's who's this book for? What's it trying to teach? Is it for another CEO? Is it for somebody who's up and coming in their career who wants to maybe do due diligence on the company they could be joining? Who's that? Who's the reader? Great question. The reader is for both leaders and aspiring leaders, is what I would say. If you have don't have an interest in ever being a leader, it's really not a book for you. And and what I found is that there's a number of principles that exist out there because as a leader, you're making like hundreds of decisions every single day. Even deciding not to make a certain decision and to empower someone to make a decision is definitely a decision, right? So you're making hundred decisions a day. And, and, and what I wanted to do is I always wanted to kind of write a book. I, I teach at Columbia. So I love kind of teaching and education and, and, and it was always been important to me, but I didn't want to write these boring, like you know, textbook kind of books with just like the five principles, of this, the six principles, of that, whatever kind of stuff. I want it to be a story where that was riveting. And through the storytelling, you end up kind of learning a ton around kind of smart decisions that you could ultimately make to become more successful. So it's, it's for, it's for that audience. And, you know, things like how do you think about whether a decision is a trapdoor decision, meaning you can't change it, which most people think, mm -hmm. Many decisions are trapdoor decisions. When in fact, you could change lots. You can't change like whether you're gonna after you have a kid. Like that's a trapdoor decision. But most decisions are incredibly changeable, and people are so fearful of oftentimes making decisions because they think they're trapdoor decisions when they're actually not. And just other elements of of, of decision making. So you know that's that's what we did. And the story under WeWork was so insane and such a roller coaster experience. Um, and made for just some uh, pretty crazy material. I, I was going to say, so I feel like, and, and like, obviously you're on the inside. So I'm just going to speak for, like as a layman on the outside. I feel like WeWork is not the epitome of, of great leadership decision-making. You learn from what <laughs> over, not over to do history. just as much as you learn what yeah. to do. Yes. So you've been, how many, how many like, chief executive roles have you held over your career? Well, um, That's so I was, pre I, I would say this is my third, um, president yeah. or CEO or CEO role. And, and if you include general management positions, then it's my fifth. So what is out of, obviously you have some experience with this. So what is, <laughs> what is, what is the definition of a leader in a business context? And what is the most important trait for a leader? Oh, wow. Okay. So let's go backwards. Um, the most important trait for a leader from my perspective, is understanding that your role is to enable the success of everyone around you. Is to think about a re the reverse organizational chart, where like the leader is on the bottom of the chart, not at the top. Your role is to support and enable the success of all the executives. And the executive's role is to support and enable the success of their managers, and manager's role to enable the success of individuals. My role is not to succeed myself, I don't need to succeed myself. I need to enable the different people on my team to succeed. And guess what? Then I succeed. But that's my job is to enable everyone else to succeed around me and do whatever is necessary. Sometimes it means letting go of people to enable them to succeed, actually. Um, to me, that is the most important role of a leader. Support the success of those around you. Now, I, I agree with I agree with what the role of the leader is. Um, and I want to I want to understand your opinion about how to do this tactically when there's interests of other parties that are that maybe prompt different decision making so for example when you were acquired at investopedia obviously 
uh, stakeholders. There were certain stakeholders that were making that decision because they thought it was for the benefit of those stakeholders or even shareholders. But in a, in a, in a business environment, how do you align that leadership principle, which I agree with, with the expectations of shareholders, for example, or, or owners or whatnot? Because that's the, that's the fundamental thing that I think I always see causing conflict. Everybody agrees what a good leader is, but nobody knows how to do it when they're bored and their owners feel the need to do things differently, for example, that obviously drive ROI or whatever that metric is, right? Good. Okay. So to me, the golden rule is all about transparency, meaning if I am told by my parent company or by my board, transparently, you're not doing a good enough job. You need to focus on this, not that, et cetera. I, or I transmit that information to someone else. It aligns interests in a lot more effective way than if information is withheld. The biggest challenge oftentimes and why there's a lots of misalignment like you're referring to, Scott, is because a board will have access to certain information like, oh, a company wants to go public or, or whatever the, the, the or we want to sell this company, whatever the, the, the incentive is for the board. And, and the management team or the employees have a completely different incentive. And then there's t tension and, and there's problems because people have missed, have, have, there's asymmetrical access to information. The more that a leader can ensure that there's as consistent information as possible so that the most junior person and, and the board member knows the same thing, the better. And you could say, oh, David, that's unrealistic. We share all of our financials with every employee. Our board does not know any information that every single employee does not know and get access to. Is there a risk in doing so? Can that employee take screenshots of like our financials and post them on wherever? Reddit, yeah, they can. And there's a risk. But the reward of having alignment and incentives and priorities because you're brutally transparent is... You know, the way to go. And it goes with managing someone. You need to be transparent. If someone's not doing a great job, it's not nice to them, not kind to them to like say, don't worry, keep it up. You'll, everything will be okay. And then surprise them later on. Kind of the kindest thing you could do is give very critical, transparent, maybe overly blunt in order to be clear information in as respectful a way as possible. So transparency to me is like the end all be all. This is like, um, this is like radical candor. There you go. That's, like that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it was, at, at, yeah. at our company, we have like a book, we had a book club. Um, yeah. and radical candor was one of the books in the book club. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I have no doubt it was, it's a, it's, it's a great, it's a great leadership philosophy. So, um, and this is what you're doing. This is, this is one of the principles. And, and, how and many, Scott, can like, I just you tell have... you one, one other thing about it? Yeah. If you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. So. No, it's your show, man. You can say whatever okay. you want. It's your show, dude. It's not my show, but like, I'm still going to like say it. So. Go for it. Um. The, there's one of the most famous managers leaders ever. In fact, he won um, Time Magazine's Manager of the Century for the 20th century wow. was Jack Welch, the um, CEO of GE, General Electric, for, for 20 years at the time that he left the highest market cap company um, in the world. He was on IEC's board and I got to sit down with him and meet with him one-on-one. -on -one. And I said to Jack Welch, you were the manager of like the century what can you teach me about management like on one foot? And he's like, just focus on transparency, focus on trust. If you build transparency, you'll have trust. And if you have trust, you could have anything. Make sure you have trust of your employees, trust of your board, trust of your team. That's all. That's, that's the most important thing. So that had an impact too. It's amazing because it seems like that runs counter to almost every company operating out there that seems to hide everything from their employees. So there's always like the, there's like the large companies that have probably been around for a long time that operate the way that they feel like they have to, you know, hide everything. And you don't even, you don't know what the next person in the cubicle beside you is making, let alone what the company's financials are like, unless they're public. But outside of that, you also have the startup that's worried about sharing information because they may not have a run rate longer than six months. So it's very, it's a very, it's a very scary feeling, but 
Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, if you're a startup and you don't have a runway of more than six months, I know that's scary. So you get the team together and you say, okay, who do you know? What angels do you know? Or let's yeah. be aligned. We got to reduce our costs. Well, how can we focus on our hosting costs? What do we need to do to reduce costs? Just get everyone aligned or else people are like, why are they asking us to reduce our... And people just start jumping to conclusions. And frankly, usually those conclusions that they jump to, those assumptions that people have are far worse than the actual truth that's actually going on, except in WeWork's case. The truth was actually yes, worse than WeWork, but for many companies, it's not. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's talk about some things that you're doing. So let's talk about, this is an interesting way of doing it. Let's talk about some of the principles that you speak about in the book outside of trust and communication, not to say those are not mm -hmm. like incredibly important, but there's other ones in there. There's like a lot. I think there's like 40 some, 44? Is it 44 or a lot of decisions? There's a lot of decisions, and, yes. And, a lot of decisions and concepts in there. So whatever. We won't be doing 44 or whatever it is today. I hope not for but your listeners. Um, yeah, I know. i got to have like lunch eventually and whatnot. But uh, let's say let's pick a couple others. And I think that what would be great is if you pick your like your favorites, um, talk about the concept and why it's important. And then I think it's really great if you speak about how you've done it in Meetup. Because there's the theory and then there's the very tactical and people love the theory, but it's really good to see it executed in an actual successful company. So that's great too. So let's do that. Ooh, you've done this before, I think. Damn, that's a good question. A few times. <laughs> a few times. <laughs> okay. Sorry. As my wife says, you crack, I crack myself up. It's terrible. Good. Um, I laugh at my own jokes too. She hates <laughs> It's so annoying to her. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So I think... The one that I also, uh, we, we talked about a few, just to, to, to remind people of the ones we've talked about so far, and then I'll share a new one. The ones we've talked about so far are be surprised only about being surprised. That's kind of one. Another one is focus on being kind, not necessarily being nice. A third one is focus on creating options for yourself rather than limiting options in your decision-making. So the next one that I'll share is around decision-making biases. So there are many major biases that we all have and i'll name a few of them and the key is to understand how you are biased because it's not a question of whether you're biased or not biased you're biased we are all influenced by these biases so here's an example of three or four different biases and then you could choose one out and then we'll talk about it so first one recency bias so recency bias is is the concept that if you had 10 data points is that last data point that's usually going to have a way over influence on how you perceive something and the decision you end up get you end up making. So the example I like to give around that is yoga could be exhausting. I love yoga and you're stretching all over the place, but at the end you do a shavasana and you're chill and you're relaxed and that's what you remember most that like shavasana feeling. So you want to go back to yoga because you did that shavasana at the end. And you have that recency bias. Or the 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 work experience I would give to that because as you had asked for, was oftentimes there'll be an executive that's not working out. And you need to unfortunately let that executive go. Hopefully you've given enough critical feedback during that process. And that executive is too extreme in one direction. The executive is too aggressive or not aggressive enough or whatever the challenge happens to be. You end up hiring the next person just as the opposite of the person who had just happened to have been there when in reality, there's could be 10 different factors that are important in an executive. Great communicator, um, um, domain knowledge base, um, great hire of talent, whatever those four or five things happen to be. But because they skew really extreme and a challenge in one way, you go the exact opposite direction because of that recency bias and hiring that next person. And that's oftentimes a mistake. You have to recognize that you have this recent bias, that you're going to end up trying to overly compensate for and not let that bias overly influence the next decision that you're going to be making. That makes sense. It does hundred percent. That's smart. Very smart. Um, so we have biases. What are, so we can go through a few more. Sure. Um, I'll let you, I mean, I'll let you lead, you know, which ones, you, you know, which ones are sort of like that. That's a great one, by the way, but you know, which ones are the ones that come up again. Yeah, and again I'll give three more biases. Works that people okay, have in decision making. That's fair. Let's so do it. the next one I would say is confirmation bias, which is, you know, things are going great. So you're going to keep looking at the data when, as, as long as it's going great. And then when things aren't going so well, you don't really look at that information. You're looking for just things that confirm what you want to see as opposed to 
um, seeking out different opinions of others that can actually help you to make a smarter decision. If you surround yourself by people who are just confirming, 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 you ain't going to be making a smart decision. So the key to actually great decision-making is disagreement and debate. And the more disagreement and debate that you have, the less confirmation bias you're going to have, the better decision you're ultimately going to make. So I'll give you an example of what we do um, at actually a bunch of my different companies, but certainly at Meetup, which is when we come into a meeting, we don't just come into the meeting and talk about something. Prior to the meeting, we have someone create a Google Doc. And in that Google Doc, they'll put a specific opinion out there and they'll share that opinion with everyone in the meeting. And then we expect everyone who's before the meeting to give their opinions and disagreements in that document. And then when we have the meeting itself, it's a discussion of where there's areas of disagreement in order to then figure out how to align on those and not spending time where already we agree on something and, you know, cause that's kind of a waste of time. What it also does is it gives people who are more introverted an opportunity to really participate as effectively as people are extroverted because this this asynchronous time where individuals can share their opinions to help to influence decisions, not necessarily in the room, but in a document. And that helps with reducing, with increasing debate and disagreement and reducing confirmation bias. Very smart. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs, no more servers, no more updates, just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win, efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
learned it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Smart. Okay. Good. Do you have Do you have two more? Yeah. Okay. Two more. And I'll do them quick. So one is status quo. You bias. keep You keep tell, You keep pausing, and I'm like, listen, man. I just think it's a smart idea. I'm just taking mental notes. I don't have anything else to add on to it. You're the expert here. I'm just going to do it in my next meeting. I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty damn good idea. Okay, you should. It, it really does yeah. work, and, and yeah. this is very efficient, actually, too. Um, status quo bias is the next one, which is just people's fear of change, and and just People are oftentimes prefer to have the status quo, even if it sucks and it's terrible Mm -hmm. and they're miserable and they're unhappy, then then the fear of the unknown that could be potentially worse, even though it's likely going to be better and kind of helping people to understand that you need to pivot careers, you need to pivot businesses, pivoting is essential to survival and status quo is just something that's incredibly dangerous as part of many people's biases. And then the last one, so I won't even give you a chance to comment on this one. The last one around biases that I find happening oftentimes is, is around sunk cost fallacy, which on a personal note for me is things like, I go to an expensive restaurant, I order lots of food, I feel sick because I ate all the food, but of course I had to eat all the food because I paid for it. When in reality, the it. goal was like, <laughs> enjoy yourself and like leave over some food. But a lot of people don't appreciate that, that you, if you already did something, it's a sunk cost. If you already invested millions of dollars into a business, too often people will say, well, look at how much we invested. It'll look so bad. We can't you know, jettison that business. When in reality, it's gone. It's over. Bye-bye $2 million you just invested. What is the right decision mm-hmm. at this time? 
how do you divorce kind of emotional connections to these costs that you had put in so that you make a smarter decision moving forward? Now, you have these biases that you have to be cognizant and aware of, which is very smart. Once you're aware of these, what is your, what's your decision-making process once you are aware of your biases? Find as many people to disagree. And if you don't have tension or disagreement, then you probably haven't thought about all the different angles and challenges that could be in front of you. And only then... How do you do that? Oh, go no, ahead. No, no, how no, do you do ahead. that? I was going to say... Um, how do you, well, especially, I was going to say, especially because unless you have an extreme amount of, of psychological safety in your organization, people are not comfortable. But you nailed it at all. You nailed it right there. I mean, you need to create an environment where people understand that the best thing that they could do to quote unquote, look good, um, and to help is to actually disagree. I have people on my team who will say things like, I don't know if I even agree or disagree with my disagreement about to say, but I'm going to disagree now because I know that that's actually helpful in the decision-making process. And, and, and the key is that when someone does disagree, you have to hold that up to a high, you have to say, thank you. You are so right. The moment that I, as a leader become defensive when someone's disagreeing is the moment that you're kiboshing the ability for people to feel safe and to disagree. And then what you're kiboshing essentially, I've never said that word twice in whatever sentence, <laughs> then what you're kiboshing is the ability to actually make smart decisions, which is a serious problem since kind of life and business are all about kind of one decision after another. And, and as a leader, um, do you hire for that particular personality? Is that something that you look for when you, you bring a new exec or anybody on? I can't say about anybody. I would love to say anybody. I would love to say that because I'm not interviewing, I'm interviewing my, my reports or sometimes my the reports of my direct reports. And we do have um, values that we do interview for, like embracing change is a value that we interview for. And that's actually helpful. We have six specific values at Meetup that we interview for. Um, but for people that are on my team, I do look for disagreement a lot. And I would say that there is a certain level of self-esteem, confidence, but not cockiness that's really important for people because if you lack self-esteem and you're scared to share your voice, then it's harder to disagree. My job is to then figure out how to get that disagreement out of you because some people are more introverted and less comfortable doing that. And I'll then try to talk to people in one-on-one -on -one sessions and invite disagreement if, because I know some people in a group setting are less apt to disagree. And my job again is, what can I do to help people on my team and others to feel as comfortable as possible? And that's just creating that kind of environment where you are, you are praised for being, being contrary, but you also need to, at a certain point, obviously, be the appropriate soldier, not just continue to be contrary for contrary sake either. Very smart. And, and a lot of the things that we just spoke about there, there are things that you have to you have to work on internally, but you also mentioned something that I thought was a little interesting. You mentioned uh, when you're hiring a, a, when you're hiring an executive, and I assume it would be for you as a CEO as well. What are the top skills, like the hard skills? So is it is it hiring? Is it domain expertise? What is the list of things that you look for in people that you're looking to? bring in at an upper, at an upper level. Great. I'll say the things that I look for and also list a couple of things that people look for, but it's actually, I think less important than people realize. And it's okay, one of the things I like to talk about is deprioritization is more important than prioritization. You could say like these 10 things are really important. What you're looking for that that's not helpful. It's here are the things that are not important actually are less important than people realize. So I'll start with the less important one. Actually you hit on it there. Domain expertise. Now, I'm not saying that our head of marketing shouldn't be very strong in marketing. Obviously, she's amazing at marketing and very important. However, I would rather have someone who is an eight and a half or nine out of 10 in eight and a half out of 10, even in domain expertise and is great at hiring people underneath them, is a phenomenal communicator, is a strong team player, is highly analytical. All those things are much more important 
than kind of years of experience or having been there, done that, because you could learn things from other people and you don't need to be the absolute expert in many things. So that's something that I think people actually over-prioritize. They also over-prioritize things like what company someone worked at or, or what school mm -hmm. someone went to. All that stuff is just such BS and you know, way over-prioritized brand names. Um, the things that I tend to prioritize the most are trying to understand kind of the level of selfishness versus unselfishness of a potential team member. When someone has a ego-driven, deeply selfish approach to the way in which they approach business, and you can ascertain that, and I'll tell you how I tend to ascertain that, you, um, I don't want that person on the team, no matter what, no matter what. So what I tend to do is I do zero reference checking, zero. You might be like, what? How could you not do reference checking? It's kind of important. You can't learn much. All I do is back channeling. So I never ask someone for like three, four or five people that I should talk to because they're only going to give me like the great people. They're going to tell me people that like think they're the bee's knees or whatever. Bee's knees are good. I don't even know what those are, but <laughs> um, um, instead I am LinkedIn with like 30,000 people. So I can always find someone. So I, I find who else, someone else who I'm connected to the person. And then I just reach out and I back channel the heck out of any potential hire. And it's, it's kind of served me well. And we pulled back from potential hires, um, based on the back channeling as well. Cause then you get the, you know, the unfiltered and transparent truth. What is, what is back channeling? Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Explain back that channeling to me. Is basically yeah. just, um, so uh, if I'm thinking of hiring Michael, then I don't say to Michael, hey, who should I talk to from your past that um, is good? I, I go on LinkedIn, I look who's connected to Michael. I reach out to those people that have worked with Michael in the past. And you just ask, and I just them. ask him. I say, hey, did you work with Michael? And I didn't work that closely. Okay, do you, can, you re can you refer me to someone who did work closely with Michael in the organization? Oh yeah, of course. Janine worked really closely with Michael. Great. Um, do you mind making an introduction to Janine? Sure. And then I talk to Janine about Michael. And you just see what, what the average, what the average, you know, the, the, the average view of somebody who just, you know, worked a couple hours a day with this person, how they treated other people, what I got it. I understand. That's smart. Very, very smart. Um, and I'm also curious, this can be like the, the, the final question that I, I like to do is a couple rapid fire, but we've been going for a bit now, but I like to, I, I like to understand uh, people's frameworks for things. So you said you like to deprioritize and that's more important than prioritizing. So how do you, cause there's a million different ways to do that. Like the urgent, important, the Eisenhower matrix, all the different ways to, you know, to figure it out. So how do you do it? How do you deprioritize things? Yeah. I try to have as objective a basis as possible in deprioritizing opportunities. So the, the challenge is that many startups and leaders, they die more of, um, of, of, uh, overeating than of starvation. You know, they, they, they try on too many different things at the same time and they can't prioritize. So I try to quantify as much as possible. So every opportunity I'll say, okay, let's put an assumption in there. How big is this market? How, what percentage do we think we get of the market? What are some examples of that? If we move this needle in terms of improving search on Meetup, and there was a 3% increase in the number of people who became organizers because we improved search, what's the dollar value of that? So I, what I try to do in prioritization, deprioritization is anything that potentially, not everything can be, but anything that could potentially be quantifiable, we push hard to make it as quantifiable as possible. And then it's oftentimes becomes more obvious of like, why? I know you think this would be great, but why would we prioritize this when this other opportunity has like 10x the potential value? And it, it, mm -hmm. it just, it takes things from opinions into a subjective into more objective, which then builds you know, higher levels of alignment, you know, between different, different uh, people around resources. Very smart idea. Okay. Um, in closing, any other points that you want to bring up, uh, floor is yours, but also if not, and it's okay if there are, but if not, um, what do you want, what do you want people to, to take away after they've, after they've read this book? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to learn? What's the, what's the goal? I think the number one thing that I want people to take away after reading the book is their careers, their life, their future is more in their control than they may realize. I think too often people have an external locus of control 
and they say these things happen, it's unfortunate, um, and they blame kind of outside forces. And I think the book is kind of a story of lots of different experiences where I and others um, did things that were seemingly impossible, like getting meetup to be acquired from, by someone who I knew from 20 years ago, even though there were 30 other companies that were looking to you know, acquire a meetup out of WeWork and, and persevered to make it a reality. That would be the greatest thing if people felt more ownership of what happens in their lives. To me, that's the biggest win. Amazing. Okay. And if people want to get the book, connect with you, chat with you, where do they go? Social, website, all that. Okay. So um, book's coming out March 8th and you can get on a little bookseller that some people might have heard of called Amazon as well as any other you know online bookselling place. We have a website. It's called decideandconquerbook.com. You can go to the website and you can check out stuff there. You know, Just go on to uh, any bookstore also will have it. Um, and in terms of reaching me, um, LinkedIn is probably the best way. So you could easily find me just David Siegel on Meetup. You can even send me an email, david at meetup.com. Um, and uh, just love to hear from anyone who is interested in uh, the topics we talked about. Amazing. No, that's great. Okay, let's do a couple of rapid fire. Um, biggest challenge you've overcome in your life. What was that challenge? How did you overcome it? I was deathly afraid of public speaking sweaty palmed really nervous as all hell look at you now <laughs> i know right and um overcame it's just practice it's just over and over and over again and uh you just get less and less nervous and then it just becomes second nature to you so now i'm like public speaking in the shower so you know it's real easy <laughs> um if you had to choose one person obviously there's been many but pick one person who's been highly influential in your life who was that person and what did they teach you okay so I decided to become excited. I set an ambition for myself to run a company because I saw someone who became my mentor. His name is David Rosenblatt. He is on the, he's the CEO of First Dibs and he's on the board of, of Twitter and IAC and a bunch of other amazing companies. And he just took me under his wing and I used to meet with him weekly or every other week. And still 20 years later, whenever I have an important career decision to make or life decision to make, not just career, but life decision to make a kind of, he's always there and he's always supportive of me. And, um, you know, he's had a big influence on, on me and my family. Amazing. Um, a book podcast, audible, something that's helped you that you'd recommend people go check out. Oh boy. Okay. It's an oldie, but a goodie. When I say oldie, I mean like really oldie. So it's controversial, but I'm going to go with, um, Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. Um, written in like 1930 or something. And, and I teach a class and I have all my students that have to read the class. And a lot of it is um, inappropriate, let's say for our times. And, and it's, it's unfortunately way, way too white male. However, there is um, such beautiful learnings in terms of um, helping to kind of build relationships that um, can last a lifetime. So if people have not read it, it's a classic. I always recommend it. It is, and, and candidly, like it was written in the 1930s. Exactly. So understanding the time um, frame when it, it was, was written. definitely a different, <laughs> it's a different time for sure. Um, uh, if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Don't care about money so much. Um, money will always come. Focus on what you want to when you feel like you could be great at and good things will come, don't put so much pressure on yourself around that. It's just not that important. It's important up to a point. Past a point ain't that important. And last question, what does success mean to you? Success means happiness. That's it. Being a happy person. If you, if you have a lot of money and you're unhappy, that's your, your, your failure, right? Um, and if you want a family, not everyone necessarily wants one, but if you want a family and you have a wonderful family and you're happy in that family, and that's the way that you want to live your life to me, that's success.
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 